Well, good morning, and Lord bless you today. I just love that last song. You know, it just, just makes you want to cry. He's, uh, he's so good to us. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're going to wrap up chapter 12 here. rather have a different uh, subject matter, uh, but it is what we have. And God's Word is always relevant, isn't it? Verse 20 of Acts 12. <clears throat> now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus the king's personal aide their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. He sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Oh, how the Bible can be so blunt at times, huh? But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Lord, uh, how we have discovered over and over again, Lord, your goodness running after us, pursuing us. Lord, how we thank you. Thank you for the cross today. Thank you for your resurrection power. We need it, Lord. <laughs> we need that life that comes from you to flow into us. Lord, you have called us to represent you at this special time in history. And Lord, sometimes we feel overwhelmed. Sometimes, Lord, we, we have our struggles, our setbacks, our failures. But we thank you, Lord, because of your cross. You have granted to us, Lord, life and, and power and strength. Lord, that which we, we so often lack, but that which we so need. And as your people, Lord, we come before you today, and we are grateful, grateful for grace. Lord, how awesome, Lord, you are. We give you praise. Lord, there may be many in our world today. They want to take the pat on the back, Lord, but we realize all glory it goes to you. All praise, 
Lord, all credit. Lord, where would we be, Lord, uh, without you? So, Father, I thank you, Lord, as we consider Scripture today, that, Lord, you would, Lord, just speak, Father, into our hearts, into our lives. A beautiful morning. Thank you. Thank you for this beautiful fall morning. We can gather, worship, encourage one another, and, and just uh, say thank you to you for all that you've wrought, Lord, for all that you've done. For you are indeed our great, and you're our great shepherd, Lord. Lord, um, we call upon you. You're the guest of honor. May you just come. May you just minister, we pray, Father, uh, to our hearts today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, we entitled our message this morning, um, How the Mighty Are Fallen, and we took that from the life of, from the book of 1 Samuel, from the life of King Saul, uh, a very proud man, uh, first king of Israel, uh, a guy that had a great beginning, but it had a horrible end, terrible end, you know, when you look at his story. And, um, and I think that, uh, in a sense, uh, he may be like many people, you know, in our world where God has wonderfully blessed them and encouraged them and done things for them. But, you know, when we're left to our own devices, um, you know, life uh, can be really rough. Uh, we need to continually walk with him, depend upon him, look to him. Um, I think about all the difficult things that have come into my life, and for the most part, they have been by my own hand, by my own foolishness and that sort of thing. And uh, as we come to chapter 12, though, uh, we, we see here that the devil has been really working over the church and he uses violence here as his chief tool, particularly in this chapter and in actually some of the earlier chapters as well. Uh, but his name is Herod. Uh, he's number four uh, in a line of uh, Herods, uh, this brood of vipers um, that were so set against God's people. We see that right from the Herod the Great from the very beginning. Uh, then we have Herod Archelaus. He was so bad that Rome had to remove him. And then you have Herod Antipas. Uh, he was the fellow, uh, basically, that um, uh, just a weak kind of a guy. Uh, and you, you perhaps remember the story when uh, his, uh, um, his wife's daughter uh, danced before him, and he said, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. And then uh, she kind of powwows with her mother, and uh, they decide they want the head of John the Baptist and, um, and so uh, uh, we have here uh, Herod Agrippa, and, uh, and there's one more. We'll find him later, Herod Agrippa II, uh, later on in, the book of, uh, in this book here of Acts. But, you know, as the saying goes, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. All we have to do is just look in history, you know, to see that, how corrupting power can be. Uh, it, can even, it can even happen to a child of God. You know, when we're given authority and power and that sort of thing, when we're given, you know, great resources, we have to be careful. Uh, I can't tell you how many pastors I've seen uh, in my life uh, time go down. And every time I see one go down, it's, it's a heartbreak. Um, and and I've, said, I've said many times uh, to myself, there go I, except for the grace of God, God's incredible mercy. And so, you know, when you look at the, the, the issue that we're dealing with here is really deadly pride. 
And how, when that begins to enter into someone's heart and someone's life, they begin to think, you know, they're the reason for all the good things that have taken place in their life. And they begin to take all the bows and all the pats on the back. And uh, they begin to think, you know, it's just, you know, that's, it's them. And we see that here in our story. But how, how true it can be of the human heart. Uh, the human heart is, in a sense, endemic to pride. That's why the Bible has so many warnings against pride. Pride comes before a fall. Uh, and it can so easily, you know, just sort of, uh, I remember uh, reading about one illustration about pride. Somebody said, it's like a beard. You can cut it back, but it's already starting to grow. And, uh, and you know, and God also, too, because he loves us, you know, he sees what's going on in our life. And he brings humbling circumstances, uh, you know, because of his great love, his, his compassion for us, uh, the perfect father. Uh, seeing, you know, where there's some occasion in our life to, you know, stumble in the future. And so he works. He works to bring us into uh, that place of humility, uh, into that place, you know, of trusting him more and more. And so, uh, you know, the thing is, you know, pride can, can so pervert the good things in our life, the, the blessings, the things that God has, has given to us. Um, now, this chapter opens here with Herod. He's the big kahuna. He's, he's on his throne. He's calling the shots. He's ordering the death of James. Uh, he's harassing the humble people of the church. But what we see here, and how true it is, how quickly things can change. Um, that's because God is sovereign. God is in control. And how important it is that we, that we look to him. You know, sometimes when uh, there's somebody perhaps maybe over our life, a manager or somebody, of, you know, in that sense, uh, you know, that are in a position of power, maybe they're giving us a hard time, maybe they have their edicts and their mandates and all that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're giving their orders and all of a sudden they're gone. They're, they're just gone that quickly. And, uh, and, I, and that's why I thank God, you know, that we have this, this incredible privilege. You know, we were talking about prayer list last week, and, you know, people can, they can say, they can mock us, they can do all things against us, but they can't resist our prayers. And that's why we need to pray, you know. Uh, I think politicians um, have a great susceptibility, you know, to pride and arrogance. You know, they get in these positions of power. And that's why we need to pray for them. We need to pray that God would you know, bring that humbling into their life and, and, and perhaps maybe bring them to that place where they realize, you know, look at, uh, you know, Chuck Colson is a great story of that, isn't it? Here he was, you know, uh, uh, the chief of staff of Richard Nixon. Uh, he was Nixon's kind of hatchet man. That's what they called him, the hatchet man. Uh, former Marine officer. Um, I mean, when you look at his life, you know, just, you know, everything, you know, brought him to that position of power. Uh, and how he was humbled, you know, through that whole Watergate thing. And he, with some others, end up in prison. And as a result of Coulson being in prison, uh, you know, he came to faith. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, there's ministry today, the Coulson Center. There's um, the, 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 um, the prison ministry, prison fellowship that he has. And how God used, you know, all those difficult circumstances, those humbling, humiliating circumstances. Imagine when you're in a position like that and all of a sudden you find yourself in jail uh, everything just sort of just wiped out, everything that you work for. And yet we find that God allows these kinds of things to bring us to the place where we are humbled, where we realize we can't do it. And sometimes our own decisions can bring us into a place, um, you know, a place of power. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we can't handle power. We, we think we can. There's only one that can really handle power, and that's the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
Uh, as we look at verse 20 here, <clears throat> you know, God humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. You know, I was thinking about Mary's song, and it's a little bit of a reflection from Hannah's song. Um, uh, both of these ladies had prayed for a child, and she says this uh, in uh, Luke chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. For she's speaking about God, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent uh, away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. And so we see there, kind of reminded me, there was a song uh, that we used to sing uh, kind of popular, was popularized actually uh, when it was first written back in the 1870s by Fanny Crosby, uh, kind of didn't go anywhere. Then all of a sudden uh, they began to sing it, I think it was Bev Shea and, and, um, and the song leader there for the Billy Graham um, uh, ministry, they started singing it in all the 1954 is when they introduced the song. And, and I can remember, you know, through the 50, 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s when I got saved into the 80s and 90s, it was a popular song. And it goes like this, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life, our redemption to win, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. And what we find as we come here, to this first verse here, we find that Herod, he's the king. He, he's, he's very angry. And, you know, pride is the root of unrighteous anger. Um, and, uh, and that's something that, you know, that, that when, you know, and, and one of the things I think that, that we have in this nation, uh, unlike many people and places in the world, is we have such power, we have such resources. And, uh, you know, we have this term called control freak. You, you've ever heard that? Have you ever heard that towards you? And, and, you know, we, we, we tend to aim that towards somebody that, you know, we see, you know, they're losing control and they're getting angry of the case maybe. But aren't we all control freaks? You know, it's like, I don't like it when I'm losing control. Uh, that's one of the things about faith is it's trusting the Lord. It's trusting him with our life, with our circumstance, you know, with a new step of faith. And there's all these uncertainties there. And that's why sometimes we may not take a step of faith because there's all these things that are just basically, they're kind of murky. Uh, and, and it's like, I don't want to lose control. Um, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I used to be the missions pastor and, uh, and I've taken a lot of trips, you know, overseas and all that. And, and it was always such an adventure. But you know, as I've gotten older, it's like, I don't want to leave my bed. All that uncomfortable travel. And I'll, and I'll have to put up with people that probably don't want me there anyway, you know, kind of a thing. And, and you start thinking about, you know, those kinds of things that, you know, that you can't, there's simply things, so many things in life. And don't you discover this as you get older? You're losing control. You're losing control of many things. You know, you lose control of your health. You lose control of your financial situation. And you see, that's where God comes in. You know, that's where he comes in to, to, 
to, you know, to, you know, it's like sometimes I think when we're losing control, it's like he finally says, well, finally, you know, finally, Ray, you've come to this place. You're going to trust me now with this particular situation, with this circumstance. And that's what really life is about. It's just more and more reliance upon him and just, you know, letting go of the steering wheel of our life because, you know, as they would say, you know, God is our pilot. Uh, and it's so hard to allow God to, to just take over certain circumstances and situations, you know, in our life. But we find that he loves to do that. Now, as we come to verse 20 here, the, the place is in Caesarea. It's a sort of a, a little Roman colony there in Israel. Uh, wherever, you know, wherever Rome was basically set up, there was a colony that was considered Roman territory. And if you've been to Caesarea, it's, uh, there's a great uh, amphitheater there. Been there a number of times. And matter of fact, got some pictures of Margie and I in the amphitheater. And it's a beautiful setting as the amphitheater faces the Mediterranean. So this is where Hur it is. Uh, he is there. He is giving his oration uh, to all these people. And apparently the, it was, there were some celebrations and so forth taking place. And also the people from Tyre and Sidon were there. And no doubt they were there to lick his boots uh, because, you know, that their, their country was basically dependent upon, you know, Hurrit. And, and this particular Hurrit Agrippa was interesting because some of the others that followed, uh, that were be, before him, did not have the power. This Hurrit Agrippa had sort of the power of his, of his you know, his grandfather there, Hurrit the Great. And so, uh, and, and we see here, as he comes here to make this oration at a very kind of a special time sort of a thing, and we're told on a set day, her at arrayed in royal apparel. Um, you know, the account. One of the accounts tells us that he he had basically a a outfit on, a costume, a robe that was woven completely out of silver. And so, as the sun just sort of reflected off him, you know, he probably just sort of looked like an angel. He was a devil in disguise, but he looked probably looked like an angel. Uh, and of course, it was all for effect. You know, to you know, to have people bow down before him and just you know, um, you know, worship him. Uh, there's something you know, something about it. When you look at you know the Hollywood stars and the rock stars, um, you get in that that limelight for a certain period of time. But you know what? It's destructive. It, it destroys somebody because we can't handle that kind of praise. We can't handle glory, the glory that goes to God alone. And so. Uh, so he's in his royal power, he's sit, his apparel sitting on a throne, and he gave this oration to them. Uh, and the people kept shouting the, the voice of a God and not of a man. And, and we see how fame and great notoriety can just so destroy somebody. You know, Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, he tells us about this event. He was there. And uh, there's a whole historical account uh, of this particular period in time, you know, written by Josephus. And he says, at the completion of the third year of his reign, over the whole of Judea, Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea. Here he celebrated spectacles in honor of Caesar. And on the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment woven completely of silver, so that its texture was indeed wondrous, he entered the theater at daybreak. And there the silver, illuminated by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wonderfully radiantly radiant, and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon him. And straightway his flatterers raised their voices from various directions, um, though hardly for his good, addressing him as a god. Uh, quote, may you be propitious uh, to us, they added. 
In other words, merciful and sacrificial toward us. And if we have hitherto feared you as a man, yet henceforth we agree that you are more than mortal in your being. The king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as impious. But shortly thereafter he looked up, and he saw an owl perched on a rope over his head. And at once, recognizing this as a harbinger of woes, he felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by the ache that he felt everywhere at once, and this was intense from the start. Interesting harbinger there. Uh, and that's what happens when you begin to take the praise and the glory of God. You know what? You simply you can't handle it. You know, to God be the glory, great things he has done. You know, we did, you know, we did, that's why I think it's interesting. Sometimes the, the word praise is interchangeable in, in some versions with thanks. And, and it means, you know, the importance of just having a thankful heart all the time. Lord, thank you. Uh, even when we maybe perhaps don't feel there's certain things that to be thankful about. I can't be thankful for everything, but I can be thankful in everything. And how important it is that we're, we're thankful to the Lord because, again, he's wise. Uh, he's gracious. You know, he knows exactly, you know, what we need, you know, in our life. And sometimes, you know, difficult things and trials and such, such, such circumstances will come our way uh, that maybe we feel like well, we don't deserve or we don't want. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, God works all things to the good because why we're his, we're his and we're trusting him. You know, Scripture tells of another king as well. Uh, he was the king of the first truly world empire. You know, when you look at this guy, he had great wealth, he had power, authority, a tremendous kingdom, so much so that basically the, the Bible indicates that he was the first world, you know, uh, emperor and ruler of the world. And also, too, he had Daniel. He had the great Daniel the prophet, you know, in his court, you know, to, to encourage him and to speak to him. Uh, as a matter of fact, Daniel, he recognized the spirit of God on Daniel, and Daniel becomes the prime minister. You know, here he was a slave, uh, an indentured servant, and brought to, you know, brought to uh, Babylon after the uh, captivity, and Judah fell. Um, and so he becomes basically the prime minister. But uh, in Daniel chapter 4, I want to read something to you. These, these are the words of a man who was very proud and very arrogant and thinking, you know, that because he had this you know, this great privilege, you know, to be the emperor of the world that he began to, like so many people do, began to pat themselves on the back and think, you know, man, I am something. I am really something. And, and that can happen. That can happen, you know, when people are around you and licking your boots and praising you and that sort of thing. You know, flattery sometimes can be absolutely destructive, and you can fall prey to that. People fall prey to that. All, all the, you know, begin to, they begin to believe their own press clippings you know, about themselves. And, and here, here is Daniel to give this king, because Daniel could see it very clearly. He had the Spirit of God on his life. And he could see what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And he says this to him. He says, therefore, O king, because he just gave him basically a, a prophecy of this dream. And he says, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you and break off your sins by, righteous, by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. And, uh, and so again, Daniel seeing this. And again, whenever you, you, know, you would say to some ancient king, break off your sins, you took your life in your hands. I mean, these guys were tyrants. You know, you know, at, at their word, people you know, lived or died kind of a thing. 
But the, the account goes on like this, and all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be among the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And that very hour... The word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. And his dominion, uh, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And you see, it took you know, that seven years or seven seasons, whatever it was, it took that as he was so abased and, and so humbled uh, and yet God used that in his life to show him the reality that who he was. You know, one of the things that God does with all of us, he's always showing us who we are. Um, and, and not to condemn us. That's not the case. He shows us who we are, that we might turn to him, that, that we might rely upon him. You know, sometimes I see somebody, you know, somebody in the worst possible circumstances, and I realize that could be me. That could be me. Uh, if, it, you know... If it were not for the grace of God, you know, my sister, 46 years old, uh, you know, she basically, her whole life was basically, you know, a, um, a drug life. She, she, she died at an early age. She had six kids and all different fathers. And her life was just a life, a wasted life of drugs. And I look at my parents, you know, my mother taking her own life at, at 62 years old. My father, just my parents, just lifelong alcoholics. And, and, you know, and I look at my life, and it's like, Lord, it's like you reached down, and you picked me out of that. And, and you wonderfully, and, because that's where I would be. That, that's where I would be. Were it not for his mercy and his grace, and I think we all have our stories, don't we? Where, where, and there's times where sometimes, you know, God shows us maybe through a sibling, you know, or a family member, or, or an old friend, you know, where... Uh, where our lives could be, how wasted they would be. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that, um, that motivated me to go into the, to the service when I did in 1968 was all my buddies, all my friends were just, they were just, their lives were just being, Philadelphia was just a destination for drugs. And I saw it. I think God allowed me to see it. And it's like, I don't want to just stay here and waste my life. And for me, it wasn't going to college. I didn't have any, I didn't have the money to go to college and, and a scholarship or whatever the case may be. So I said, you know, I'm just going to join the service and, and get out of this place. And, you know, it's interesting that God used all that, the whole thing. Uh, and, and in 1975, I, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and Margie and I, and, and, and it just totally changed our life. 
And then about another, another, and about 20 years later, after uh, the late 60s there with all my friends, um, I had a chance to go back and visit them. And you know what? They were just 20 years later into drugs. And you know what? Most of them are all dead now. We had a, we, I was asking you guys to pray about two or three years ago because we were going back for an old neighborhood reunion, everybody that lived in this place in the 50s and 60s. And, uh, and I was amazed at how many of them are gone, okay? Man, God's got good things for us. Man, he's got life. You know, uh, there's, there's that scripture that says, choose life, okay? When, when we choose Jesus Christ, we are choosing life. He said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And, and it's like life is a series of choices, isn't it? Where, where we need to choose him. We, we had a man in the church um, in our, when we are in a five-mile line. And uh, just really loved the guy. Loved the guy. And uh, he, he retired early. He had to retire early because of an injury. Uh, he was a security uh, guy. And he, he had to, you know, basically... Uh, uh, retired because of an injury uh, at 55. And what was sad was that even at, at 55, he became such an alcoholic that it basically it, it, it ruined his marriage. Um, every time I saw him, uh, something, some dramatic event was taking place in his life. Last time I saw him, there was some guy, some guy he was uh, staying with at his house, and the guy just r robbed him blind. And, and it was like, how sad. You know, how sad. You know, we, there's choices that we need to make on an ongoing basis, okay, that are going to impact our life in a very powerful way. And the Lord will help us. He will guide us. He will enable us to make those choices as we reach out to him, no matter how weak we are. We are weak. We're vulnerable. Look at the cultural winds that have just, they sweep people away. Uh, you know, I, I, can, I remember back in the 60s and, and, and how the, the music, the music was so powerful, you know, on my unsaved life. I, I just remember how, how it just affected me. And it just sort of like, you just like the whole culture, the whole culture was affected by the music and so forth and, and the drug culture and the free love. And we had all these people like in our community, they're all going to California. Remember this, remember this song, you know, Scott McKenzie, you know, going to California, put flowers in your hair, you know. And, uh, and put flowers in your hair and destroy your life, uh, you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, and, and that's the, the culture in this culture here. Uh, you know, the thing is, when you, when you come to Jesus Christ and you give your life to him, there's a buttress, there's a barrier, there's a protection, you know, that comes upon your life and upon your thinking. He protects us, you know, from being so influenced, you know, uh, not that we can't be influenced, but we're not, we, we don't have to be controlled the way we once were, you know, by the culture and the things that go on, you know, in our culture. Now, Peter, wants to, Peter shares with us from his own experience how God brought humblings into his life. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse uh, 5 of chapter 5, he says this, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. Do you ever notice that life is a series of submitting yourself to other people? You grow up, you've got to submit yourself to your mom and dad. You go to school, you've got to submit yourself to the school bus driver, to the teacher, to the principal, uh, to the coach. Um, you know, you go, you, 
you go to college and you finish college and you got a job, you got a career, but there's always somebody over you. Life is a series, and that's the way God has designed it. Because why? It humbles us. We don't like that. You ever have somebody over your life and giving you a hard time? You know, I, I can remember being in certain circumstances and situations. I just want to get out of here, you know, kind of a thing. And, and uh, yeah, that person, they're mean. They're just a meanie, you know, type of thing. And, and, and yet God was working in me. God was working in me. He always works both ends against the middle, doesn't he? That, that is our God. Uh, there's nothing wasted with him. Uh, he, and he, he may use, you know, some circumstance in your life. It may be very negative because that's part of his purpose in getting you where he wants you to be. And I can remember there are different circumstances and situations like that. And so he says, be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, he will resist pride. He'll resist pride in us. But he gives grace. He gives grace. He gives that unmerited favor, you know, to you and I. To, to, you, know, when we're, when we, you know, when there's that humility of Christ. In our, and you know what the thing is? It isn't naturally there. Now, some people may be, may be more quieter than others, you know, seemingly naturally humble. Uh, but sometimes I've seen naturally humble people, you know, I've seen ugly things, you know, can kind of come out of those sweet little, you know, people that uh, put them in the right place and under the right pressure and all of a sudden, you know, something, you know, rah, you know, comes out of them, you know. Um, and, and God is working. He is working, you know, in us the will and the do of his good pleasure. And, um, and, and his work is, you know, what God's doing in you and I, it's eternal. It's an eternal work. And as we yield, and again, that's why, uh, you know, Romans, uh, Romans chapters 6 and 7, you know, Paul uses this terminology about yielding. And it's basically what we talk about, you know, surrendering your life, you know, surrendering, you know, issues, surrendering your plans, you know, ex surrendering everything. And that's not an easy kind of a thing to yield your life as God may be just calling you, um, you know, to yield up some circumstance, some situation, um, I remember the story that uh, um, Billy Graham, uh, he, you know, had this gal in his life early on before he met Ruth, and, and God just basically directed him to just let it go, and, um, and, and he did. He did in obedience because God was just, you know, uh, there was a test going on in his life, obviously, and, uh, and yet the Lord used that to get him where he needed to be, and he met Ruth, and uh, we all know the, the, the story there. But he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See, that's what God desires to do. He desires to you know, create opportunities you know, for us. Uh, but sometimes because of pride, we might be hanging on to something. And, and he's just, he's big. God is just saying, hey, let go of that. And he says, casting all your care or your anxiety upon him, because why? He cares for us. And that's why sometimes I think, uh, you know, maybe in our pride we're afraid to, you know, afraid to obey or let go and uh, surrender something to him. You know, we're kind of anxious about that, you know. And we have to remember, you know, God cares more for us and he cares for our future. Um, and he's got a purpose, you know. You know, we're just singing this song. It just so melted my heart. His goodness, his goodness is running after us. His, his you know, just he, he's always good. He's always kind. He's always merciful. He's always gracious. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because why? 
Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Uh, And may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, notice what he says here, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So we see also, too, Peter, from his own experiences, uh, God uses those sufferings uh, to bring our lives, you know, into alignment. Again, he knows, um, you know, he knows what we need. He knows when he needs to put us into you know, that kind of a situation. Um, I've had, you know, as a pastor, and uh, I've, I've had the Lord, I can't tell you how many times he has humbled me, and I thank him for each and every one. There's times where he's made me, he's, he's just let me be good and sick. And uh, there's something about it with me when I get sick and I get on my back and I'm in bed. I start a repenting. And uh, I feel like sometimes I've repented of things I haven't even done yet. And, uh, and you just want to make sure, you just want to make sure, man, that you're right with the Lord. And, and, uh, and so he can use, you know, physical suffering. He has used it. Uh, I can remember Pastor Chuck saying, he, he said that whenever all of a sudden his back was out, God got his attention. And uh, there are things like that, you know, that personally we know that when something isn't working right physically, that, you know, God is trying to get our attention. There have been times where, where I've gotten this stiff neck, you know, and it's like, and it's like the Lord said, okay, you're stiff-necked, okay? Uh, I want you to look to me, and I want you to repent, and, and, uh, and I'll fix that for you. Now, look what he says in verse 23. Uh, then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory uh, or give, did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Now, this chapter, interestingly, it opens, if you remember, with Peter in jail, and he's sentenced to death. And here is proud Herod. He is sitting upon his throne. Uh, he's ordering death for innocent people. But how quickly we see the reversal of fortunes. How quickly God can turn things around. You know, the Bible says that many, we see that many different times, you know, in the Scripture. And what we see here is, is basically Herod is smitten and dies a painful death, and Peter is triumphant, and he is basically set free. I, I like what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 2.14. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, uh, uh, thanks be to God. Paul says this. He's, he's talking about his trial. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. And, and through it all, through, through all those things, you know, um, that he diffuses the knowledge, you know, of himself, you know, as we're going through those things. And you may be going through something right now, and you're wondering, how can, how can any good come out of this? How, how can I be triumphant? And that's why it's important that we look to the Lord, because he's the one that makes us triumphant. And Paul says, rejoicing in the Lord and thanking the Lord for, you know, God's hand. And, you know, when we see the Lord working in that kind of way, man, does it strengthen our faith. Because we're looking at a possible situation, possible to change. And life is full of these kinds of things where we don't have the ability. And we may even think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going down. You know, there are times where Paul said, I had the sense of death in myself. And, and God just wonderfully intervening. God just, you know, raising him up. Uh, 
There's a, if you read Oswald Chambers' uh, devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. There, there's one, there's, there's a number of you know, quotes that I can remember uh, from it because I've read it through so many times I just don't read it anymore because I just kept, you know, I just read the thing till it was dog-eared. Uh, but in May 19th, he has a title for each little devotional piece. And May 19th, it says, Out of the Wreck, I Rise. And there can be circumstances in our life that are like a car wreck. Maybe a marriage wreck. Maybe the loss of a job. The loss of a dear one. And because of Christ's resurrection, he gives us resurrection power to you and I. And time after time after time, out of the wreck, I rise. Out of the wreck. We can look back over our lives and, yeah, that was a wreck, all right. It was a train wreck. But because I turned to the Lord, I looked to him out of the wreck. Once again, we wonderfully rise. You know, we see the Lord striking him. And again, Peter, you know, wonderfully escaping. You know, Job said, the triumph of the wicked is short. <laughs> and remember the book of Esther? Remember Haman and Mordecai? And, uh, and, and Mordecai is, is related to Queen Esther. And Queen Esther's a Jewess, and Mordecai's a Jew. And, and Haman, Haman is like the chief of staff. He, he's sort of at the right hand of King Ahasuerus. And, and he hates Mordecai. As a matter of fact, he hates him so that he's building a gallows and going to hang him on it. And isn't it interesting how that whole story just kind of works? You know, you know he goes to, to uh, Esther and he says, Esther, you, you know, you, you've been, you, you're there for such a time as this. this. Esther, this is your moment. And so she goes into the king and, and, and she hadn't been into the king's presence. And, and remember Vashti, she walked into the king's presence and she was deposed. Uh, the, the, the queen previous to, uh, to Esther. And so she's just, okay, by the grace of God, you know, uh, come what may, I'm going into the king with this issue, and she does. And just, again, the reversal of fortunes, how God turned things. And, 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 and not only did Haman want to destroy Mordecai, but he wanted to destroy the entire Jewish nation. And who's on that gallows within 24 hours? Haman. <laughs> oh, how God. Oh, how God can so quickly turn our circumstance in our situation. That's why he says, he keeps saying it through all the, through all the Bible. Trust me. Trust me. L look to me. Because we tend to look at our circumstances. We tend to look at other people sometimes as our deliverance. But it's him. We need to trust him and look to him. So as we come to verse 24, you know, uh, once again, the dust settles here. Uh, we see the powers of darkness, they have failed, and the word of God grows and expands. And that's always the way it is. God blesses his work. God blesses his people. Even in the worst of situations, in the worst of circumstances, God is working to bless his people. You know, Isaiah said in chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, it stands forever. Over in Isaiah 55, he gives an analogy there, when he speaks about the rain and the snow coming down from heaven, 
um, just uh, you know, blessing, creating vegetation, seed for the sower, uh, food for the eater kind of a thing. And he says this, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, not re return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. And we have to remember that. And that's why given, you know, circumstances can change on a daily kind of basis, we need to be in the word of God. Because God's going to accomplish his word, his purpose. And God is going to speak to you and I. And that's the beautiful thing got about God's word. God's word is power. God's word is alive. And when you read it by faith, he has a wonderful way of making, doesn't matter how obscure the Old Testament verse is or the New Testament verse is, God can wonderfully speak that into your life in a fresh new way. And all of a sudden, you find yourself where you were defeated, you were beat down. All of a sudden, man, you're encouraged. You're encouraged. Your faith is buoyed up. You know, once again, you know, uh, the Lord said this, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And, and again, in this affluent culture, you know, we, you know, we, the materialistic affluence, you know, uh, you know, one writer said we have to be very careful because we can catch this disease called affluenza. And how true that is. Uh, it affects us, doesn't it? You know, when we, when we you know, are, are uh, doing so well, we don't have to pray for resources anymore. I can remember Margie and I in ministry with five kids. I remember a time we just had a stack of bills, and uh, we couldn't pay them. And uh, we just piled them up on the kitchen table, and like, like Hezekiah, like Hezekiah with the, the letter from Sennacherib, we laid our hands on it, and we said, Lord, these are your bills. You've called us to serve you, and, uh, and shortly thereafter that, some dear saint in the church, she's with the Lord now, she didn't know anything about the situation because we, you know, we're not, we're not poor mouthing and that sort of thing, and uh, she gives us a check for $10,000, and uh, I think we ate steak that night, and, uh, or, or something thereabouts, and... Um, Theodore, Theodore Roosevelt said this, the president. He said, a thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Well, if that was true back then, it's really true today, okay? Interesting. A thorough knowledge of the Bible <laughs> is better than a college education. And I'll tell you what, uh, it'll save you a lot of money, too. And, um, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know, Paul will write this. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, uh, for instruction or training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete or mature and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's why it's very, I think, important as parents, man. Get the word of God in your kids. You know, there, because of what's going on, a lot of things are being taught, you know, in our schools uh, that as believers, we don't even, there's even a lot of unbelievers that are wrestling with some of the things that are being taught in some of the school districts. I know the school districts are, are somewhat different, uh, but some of the things that are being taught in our school districts around our country are downright scary. And, um, and we, we've opened the church uh, to a burgeoning homeschool group. 
And uh, there's 40 kids in this homeschool group, and uh, I was told it could easily be 80. But this is their first year, and we wanted to we wanted to make that we want to make the church uh, on Tuesday, you know, available to them, um, so they can get out of their homes, get some socialization, and and have some lessons here, you know, at the church. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing more important than getting Bible truth, you know, into the lives of your kids. Uh, doesn't mean you know what's a Proverbs 22 six. Train up a child in the way that he should go or she should go, and when they get old, they'll not depart from it. So between their getting the training and getting old, there may be some times where they, you know, they kind of launch out on their own, do, do, you know, do whatever they want to do. But there's something about the Word of God. There's something about the Scriptures when you get them into your soul. They have a kind of a way of God using that to bring those truths back to you at certain circumstances, you know, and situations. So the Word of God it, it grew and multiplied. You know, over in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, Paul will tell us this. He says, the word of God is living and powerful. Uh, the word powerful there is, 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 is the same word we would get as, as dynamite. Another translation says this, it's alive and it's active. And it can be active in your life and my life. But you know, you got to come to the word of God by faith. You got to trust. You got to, I, I, you know, I can remember as a new believer, because there's, there's many things that you may read that they may cut across the grain of your life. Um, and sometimes we, 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 we come across things in the Bible that we can't reconcile. We can't reconcile that theology uh, in some kind of way. That's why it's important. When you come to the Word of God, you open your Bible every day. Pray. Say, pray, God, speak to me. Lord, give me that which I need today. Lord, speak into my heart and speak into my life. And I believe, you know, wonderfully he will do that. You know, Jesus said this um, at the Last Supper, John 15, verse 3. He said, now are you clean through the word that I have spoken to you. And then over in chapter 17, verse 17, is his prayer that same night uh, where he says, Father, sanctify them. That means set them apart. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, there may be scientific truth. There may be medical truth. But, folks, this is spiritual truth. And this will wonderfully challenge and transform and, and just redirect and order your life in a wonderful, wonderful way. You know, Paul would say this over in Romans 10, 17. Faith, and this is why, uh, you know, it, it, God is so incredibly awesome, you know, when he's reaching out to someone. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing or listening to the Word of God. In other words, you don't even, and think about all throughout all history, so many people were illiterate. They couldn't read. But isn't it beautiful? God says, all you have to do is listen. Listen to my Word and faith will take place, you know, in your life. God's, again, you know, when I think about the Bible, in God's truth, it's alive and it's active. It is so incredibly comprehensive. Whatever word you need, whatever truth you need, whatever direction, guidance you need, whatever counsel you need, God will counsel you. God will guide you by the Spirit. God will give you that word in due time that whatever it is that you may need, you know, in your life. So one of the things that we see here Bad men and good men alike will come and go, but God's word abides forever. I was thinking about just recently, um, 
Pastor Chuck and Billy Graham and, and other notable men that God's used. They have come, they have, been, they have enriched us, they've blessed us, but they're gone now. We've got God. We've got his word. We've got his truth. We've got his spirit. <laughs> and you know, when I really sensed this in my heart when, when Billy Graham died, an era is closed. A special time for our nation is closed. But God has called us, like Esther, for such a time as this. With all of its challenges, this is our time. This is our time to shine. Things get dark. You are the light of the world. <laughs> now let's wrap this up, verse 25. <clears throat> You never know when God is sizing you up for a special opportunity. You never know. It says his eyes search to and fro the earth, looking for the person whose heart is loyal to him. But you never know when he is sizing you up to use you and, and bless you for a special opportunity. And we see that here. Uh, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem uh, remember, they were to take an offering down there. There was a famine, and they were going to strengthen the saints there uh, in Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they also took with them John, uh, whose surname was Mark. We'll see him as we get into the next chapter. But what I see here is interesting. Here, these two guys were willing to be errand boys for the Lord. Are you praying for God to use you? He may just ask you to do some little thing. That's how often it starts, isn't it? Just some little errand. Maybe something we even feel is beneath our gifting. These guys were willing to run, these, to run this errand you know, for the Lord. And again, this, this errand to me, in a sense... Because this, when we get into chapter 13, these are the two guys that become basically the first real missionaries um, launching out from Antioch there. And so again, this little errand here of going to Jerusalem, to me in a sense, is a precursor because God's going to send them. And remember, they, you, know, they, at, at, you know, at one point they go up uh, into uh, Turkey there. Uh, Asia Minor, it was called, and, and they go to turn to the right, you know, up into upper uh, district there in, in Galatia or Bithynia, rather, and then uh, the Holy Spirit says no, and they go to turn to the left and into Galatia and so forth, and the Holy Spirit says no, and so they're down, to, they're down at Troas. Uh, they're basically on the, I think it's the Adriatic Sea, maybe the Aegean, I'm not sure about that, but anyway, that's when the vision comes. The man from Macedonia saying, hey, come over and help us. And the gospel is launched across that body of water, and it hits Europe. And the rest is history. God's grace. You, you never know. You, you never know what God is going to do. I did not want to go to Vietnam this last time, 2019. I, I didn't care to go. But I said, Lord, if you want me to go, I'll go. And... Uh, 
I, I've shared this, I think, with, with, with some of us um, before. So I went, uh, me and Pastor, Pastor Ted went, and um, it fell to me to, to teach the book of Ephesians. And so before I went, I, I said, and there was a number of guys, Vietnam guys, uh, we got, were talking about it. And, uh, and I said, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to share with them that I was a Marine in Vietnam, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, not that I'm afraid they're going to, you know, you know, blindfold me and tie me up and, you know. Um, I just didn't want to distract them by that. I, I just didn't want that to be a distraction because I was there to minister to these folks. And we were there training in Hanoi, uh, these believers, you know, because the, the church is kind of expanding and blowing up there uh, in, in Hanoi. And so uh, I'm, I'm in Ephesians, and I'm, and I'm talking about, and, and, and Paul's teaching in Ephesians how, how Messiah, how Jesus Christ, he removes the wall between Gentile and Jew because the wall between us and him is removed. And when that wall between us and him is removed, he removes that wall between us and other people. And, uh, and I was just teaching that, and it's like the Lord whispered in my heart. He said, tell them. Tell them. I knew, what he, I knew what he was saying when he said, tell them. And so I said, you know, 50 years ago, guys, I, I was here. I was your sworn enemy down in South Vietnam. I said, but look what Jesus Christ has done. He's made us brothers. He, he, he's, he's put, you know, the love of God in my heart to come back here, you know, to help you in any way that I could. So after, after that session closed, this little guy come up. And, uh, and he was 70 years old. And he, through a translator, told me, he said, you know, um, I was an officer in South Vietnam 50 years ago. And he was in the very same district that I was in. It was called i area. And he lifts up his shirt, and he shows me this giant sinkhole where he had been shot right there in the solar plexus. And so anyway, we just sort of commiserated and fellowshiped and hugged one another and, and uh, so forth. And as, as the... Uh, the uh, final day of uh, our time there, uh, they, all wanted, they all wanted to take some pictures, and this guy wants to take this picture with me. And, and uh, so we go to do that, and all of a sudden, there's, there's a number of women in the back, and they're making this fuss. And um, we find out that these four women were also soldiers in South Vietnam 50 years ago. And so, and I have a picture of, I still have this picture on my phone of me, me there with my former enemies and we're all hugging with our arms around one another. And again, that's the grace of God, isn't it? That, that's the grace of God. And, and after I went, I said, Lord, you know, and it was kind of interesting to me because I was there in 1969 and it hit me when I was in Vietnam in the hotel room. This is 2019. This is 50 years later. This is the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, slaves were set free, land was returned. What's the other thing? Deaths were canceled, yeah. And I realized, Lord, I didn't want to come, but you gave, you, you gave me this door, and little do I, do I know, Lord, how you're going to set someone free, how you're going to work in a situation like that. See, we never know, do we? We, we never know, but God knows. So, Father, we praise you. What a great God you are. Lord, uh, our, your goodness is pursuing us. It, it's, it's running after us all the time. Help us, I pray. Help us to make the choices, Lord, relative to the opportunities that you grant and give to us. 
And for that, we'll thank you and praise you and bless you and give you glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we rise?